Welcome to Accelerate Your Business Growth, where we're exploring all sorts of business topics. Experts from around the world join me, your host, Diane Helbig, for a conversation where they share their expertise with all of you. Take what you need, when you need it. Featured on Inc.com, Forbes, and MSNBC's Your Business, this podcast is recognized as one of the best podcasts for small business, sales, leadership, social media, and more. When it comes to business, Accelerate Your Business Growth has got it covered. And now on with the show. My guest today is Glade Holman. Glade coaches, consults, and advises senior leaders and their teams on the topics of leadership, business strategy, talent management, and organizational development. Glade has a fundamental belief that we can grow and improve, and the good news is most of us want to grow and improve. The work Glade does with individuals, teams, and organizations taps into the desire to grow, unleashing excess capacity and the latent abilities that both organizations and individuals have. Thanks so much for joining me today, Glade. Thank you. I'm excited to, to, to engage in this conversation with you and your listeners. So thanks me, for the opportunity. Absolutely. Me too. So um, we're going to be talking about feedback, which I think is a huge topic and is probably not talked about enough. Um, yeah. But I want to start by asking you, why is it that people should focus on building skills around receiving feedback rather than giving it? That's a really great question. And I think it's something that I feel is underemphasized or undertaught. Um, part of it came from my own personal experience is this. Number one, um, I know in order for people to grow, and like I said, I believe most people want to grow. In fact, if you're not growing, you if you're not growing in your job, you grow outside of your job. You pick up a copy, you pick up, you remodel your kitchen. It's part of our human nature to want to grow. And I know that to grow means you need feedback because you cannot see yourself through the eyes of others. You can only see yourself through the eyes of others, you know, not through your own. So you've got to get feedback. Now I start there. I want to help people grow. Um, to grow, they they can't do it on their own. They have to see themselves through the eyes of others. And then wow, okay, how many people have expert feedback givers that are around them? And even though organization spends lots of time, lots of effort, and lots of money training people how to give feedback, I don't know how many you know, managers or individual contributors or wherever they are would say, oh, wow, I have expert feedback givers that give me exactly what I need. So I thought, what can I do to help? They need feedback to grow. We can't necessarily rely on, on the outside. Can I help someone learn how to grow by working with feedback that comes poorly delivered? or maybe even ill-intended? Um, or can I help them seek feedback in the right way so that they can grow? I couldn't influence who was around you to give you feedback, but I could help you find a way to gather feedback and use it regardless of the expertise that was the individual who was giving to you had. Because I, I want you to do it. So I just think organizations miss the boat um, when they spend all of their time training people how to give it. Um, because uh, I think the best way to train someone how to give feedback is to first teach them how to receive it. Because if you learn to receive it well, it gets much easier to give it. I think it's underrepresented, underemphasized. And like I said, for me, the point of entry I have to help someone grow is work with the feedback you can receive, and I can't control who gives it to you. So that's a kind of a short synopsis of why I lean into the receiving first rather than the giving. 
I think that is so important because really at the end of the day, the only people that we can, where we can affect change is ourselves. So, right. That's what I'm hearing. So, um, and, and I agree with totally learning how to receive feedback, regardless of how it comes to us, helps us know how to give it in the most constructive way, but also be able to hear whatever we're being told, whether it's valuable or not, I guess is, is, yeah. you know, yeah. I will lean into that. Of course, you know, so I'll say, so some people think, some people give, gain the skill to receive feedback over the course of their career. And those that are successful, I do know those that are successful have mastered the ability to receive it. Mm-hmm. Um, and without the ability to receive it well, your your growth plateaus at some spot. There'll be things that block your growth and you may not even know it, um, but it blocks it until you can learn how to receive it well. But if if you can just master that one component, then you can go as far as you'd like to go. Um, so I, that's, you know, the emphasis there is is to say, even though it it comes to you and it can be challenging, right? I mean, it's yeah. it's inborn for us that when when you receive tough feedback, it's natural to push against it. Our our neurobiology is there, our psychology is there. It's natural to push against it, and and there are techniques and skills and tools that you can use to learn how to receive it well. Right now, some of us learned it um, all across our career, but if you could learn it just earlier in your career, you could really go as far as you'd like to go. To me, it's the it's the determining factor of, of your rate of progress and of your actually achieving your aspirations or not is your ability to receive feedback. And if you can learn that earlier, all the more power to you because you're much more likely to achieve what you'd like to out of your career. And what does neuroscience teach us about our reaction to feedback? Well, I mean, you know, this will be familiar to some of us, but I think one of the easiest ways for me to understand this, um, well, is let me kind of go back and give you a metaphor and then come to the neuroscience with this one. I'll often talk about this idea to receive feedback as as jujitsu feedback, um, you know, feedback jujitsu. And people goes like, jujitsu, why is that? Like, it's, feedback's not a combat art. Like, yeah, it's not a combat art, absolutely. But there's a central tenet in jujitsu, um, you know, ancient Japanese martial art came about as a response to the samurai warrior. Samurai warrior had the best of everything, right? Sword, finances, training. If you were a peasant, how could you go up against a samurai warrior and help to come out on top? Well, the answer is you couldn't if you tried to meet some strength for strength. But a central tenet in jujitsu is that you take the energy coming towards you. You don't push it against it. You actually receive it, grapple with it, and roll with it, and come out in a position of benefit. In fact, the jitsu part means skill. The ju part means gentle and supple and yielding. So I'll talk about this idea of receiving feedback in a way that you don't push back against it, but that you receive it, roll with it, grapple with it, and come out in a position of benefit for yourself. Um, and your natural tendency, when I say the neuroscience, is when something hard comes towards you, is to meet it with something hard in response. And most of us will know about that in terms of like the fight flight, right? Because our amygdala, yeah. that little amygdala is sitting there saying, you know, two little almond shaped things above the brainstem, and it's going, let me look for anything that's unfamiliar in the world world. And better safe than sorry. If it's unfamiliar, it might hurt me. And if it's going to hurt me, what's my best defense for that? Well, it says, I'll take the blood from your, from your, um, from your, basically your prefrontal cortex, which is where I want you to live. And I'll take it from anywhere else in the body and I'll put it to your heart 
to your lungs and to your limbs so you can fight or flight. Um, and so when you have something unfamiliar, and oftentimes feedback is unfamiliar to you, it gets classified as a threat by your amygdala because your amygdala doesn't make the distinction between a psychological and a physical one. It has no sense of duration of time. The problem with the feedback that you get, right, is you think it's the amygdala says everything's an immediate threat. Um, when when someone gives you a piece of difficult feedback, that was true about you probably for many decades. It didn't kill you. It's not going to kill you right now, but your amygdala doesn't know that. So it drains the blood from your prefrontal cortex, which is where your core personality is, where your rationality is, where your judgment is, where your reflection and learning, which is what you want to do with feedback is. And at the very time you want to receive it, guess what? There's no oxygen there. And so you don't behave like your best self. Um, all this can maybe reflect on a time, either when we gave someone feedback and they didn't behave as their best self or when you didn't. And that's simply because the prefrontal cortex was not in control and didn't have the oxygen it needed to function. Um, so you want to avoid that amygdala getting triggered because um, once it does, boy, the hijack happens and you're not going to respond well to the feedback and you're going to not show up well either. It's not your best self. You're literally beside yourself because your self has been removed. Um, yourself has been removed because it doesn't have the oxygen to work with it. So that's a little bit of the neuroscience. How do I avoid, you know, how do I keep the blood? Yeah. It's really about the blood flow. How do I keep the blood flow in the prefrontal cortex rather than right. in the limbs and the heart and me panting and, you know, my cheeks going red and all that other kind of stuff that we're familiar with in that fight flight response. Okay. Well, that just leads me to my next question is <laughs> how do we? Well, I mean, and there you, you know, some of this will be like, oh yeah, that makes sense for me. Now, here's here's the problem that I think happens with feedback, particularly in the professional context. Most often, when you receive feedback, it's coming to you from a feedback from a from a framework of measure and assess. And when something comes from a framework of measure and assess, your brain, your brain, your personality will automatically go to, Ooh, I might lose something because I might not measure up. So when measure and assess is the framing around the feedback, you didn't measure up, okay, amygdala is going to get triggered. It, it happens that way. And most of the language that people use in particularly the professional context, we're going to sit down and have a formal performance review. We're going to sit down and have a formal coaching environment. I'm going to give you something and let you know where you didn't measure up. That's going to trigger the amygdala right off the bat. Rather than framing things in measure and assess, I want people to just eliminate from that lang that language from their mind, even if it's coming in that one, translate it to grow and improve. So whatever you have measure and assess framing, you have to become expert at translating it to grow and improve framing. Um, if I translate it to grow and improve framing, I'm, I'm tapping into something that's natural for my psychology too, which is everyone wants to grow. It's part of who we are. I started with that. Um, and so that's grow and improve rather than defend which comes around measure and assess. So it picks up all that great work with Carol Dweck, you know, out of Stanford on growth mindset. Um, but for me, it's just like, you've got to become an expert at translating things to grow and improve from measure and assess. If I can get someone to leave the past and start to live in the future, it's another way of getting the prefrontal cortex back involved. The prefrontal cortex is where is where projection to the future happens. It's where forecasting about the future happens. It's where Time can actually be laid out in the future. That's what makes this kind of uniquely human is our ability to cast it out there so far. So just by you changing from the framing of, you know, last time to next time, and I'll often give people that kind of a guidance of don't have the conversation about last time so much. Move the conversation to next time. Because if I can just move it to next time, that puts a call for the prefrontal cortex to get involved because that's what does next time stuff. Megala does last time and it will defend. 
um, um, prefrontal cortex does next time, and that will grow. And it also takes the pressure off if you can just change it from from that last time to the next time. So the first thing, grow and improve, not measure and assess. Move it to the front. Move it to the front. It's not about last time. It's about next time. It's a mantra I want people to have in their head, and I'll leave it as one of the mantras that you just say when you get really tied up. You say it's not about last time. It's about next time. Then I don't have to defend the past. I don't have to. I don't have to argue if it's right or wrong. I just talk about next time. And that's the way I can engage the feedback and keep the prefrontal cortex in control. That's so interesting. I love that forward looking, uh, you know, future looking sort of thing. So, um, do you love news about LinkedIn, Indeed, Google, and just about every other recruitment tech company out there? Hell yeah. I'm Chad. I'm Cheese. We're the Chad and Cheese Podcast. All the latest recruiting news and insights are on our show. Dripping in snark and attitude. Subscribe today wherever you listen to your podcasts. We We out. How much do you understand the future of finance? I'm Jim Roos, a top 10 banking influencer and host of the podcast Banking Transform, where we dive deeply into the rapidly evolving world of banking and financial technology. Join me as I interview industry experts, thought leaders, and innovators as they unravel the latest banking trends, disruptions, and game-changing technologies reshaping the world of finance. Redefine your understanding of the banking ecosystem. Subscribe now to Banking Transformed, available wherever you get your podcasts and now available on YouTube. Are there like better ways of asking for feedback? You know, absolutely. Actually, you know, I'm glad you said that because one of the best ways to avoid the amygdala getting triggered is for you to ask for the feedback. Ah. Um, um, because now you're going in prepared for it. And, I'll, you know, I talk about these feedback jujitsu moves that I'll say, hey, if you can master these moves, then you can master receiving feedback. The first one is just like what I said, make it about grow, grow and improve rather than measure assess. The second one I talk about is to expect blind spots rather than being blindsided by blind spots. Hmm. Um, so if you go in knowing that you're going to be surprised, because remember the amygdala, when it's surprised, says, okay, threat response, fight, flight. But if I go in knowing I'm going to learn something new that I didn't know about myself and might be a surprise to myself, and I'm going in looking for that thing, then my alignment says, oh, this is exactly what we expected to find. Hmm. The prefrontal cortex could have some conversation and dialogue about it with me rather than a response to that. So when you ask for it, you're already putting your mind in this idea. I'm going to learn something new that I didn't know, and that's okay. Um, And I'm going to fight the first response, which this is the other thing I want to get away from people doing, which is when feedback comes to you, the first thing your brain wants to do is say right or wrong. Um, and, And guess what? You can always always, always say wrong because two things are true about a piece of feedback you receive. Every piece of feedback you receive, and this is true about every piece of feedback. Number one, it's going to be biased because there's no way that we are free of our biases. Um, Number two, it's going to be incomplete because no one knows the totality of who you are. Mm -hmm. Um, We're just too complex. We're too nuanced and their, their view is too limited. And guess what? Human beings we look at one or two data points, and then we create a narrative that connects those data points. And those narratives are based on very selected pieces of data, but we build them into a story. And usually people are telling you their narrative, right, that comes from their belief set of what is good, what is bad. There are two or three interactions that they had with you 
So feedback you get is always going to be wrong and it's always going to be biased. So if you want to eliminate it from consideration, you can always do it. My, my favorite way that I tend to use, I just explain things away all the time. You didn't know this. You didn't know that. So I don't have to listen to what you have to say. Um, and you can do that with any piece of feedback, but that doesn't benefit you. So, so yeah. first off, you know, that's get it, get, guess what? Every piece of feedback is wrong. So now you get to figure out, okay, if it's wrong, how can I still use it? What can still be interesting for me? What people don't know is that when someone gives you feedback, they are revealing so much about themselves to you. Um, they are telling you about their beliefs. They are telling you about their values. They are telling you about their expectations. Um, and all of that is useful information for you to build that situational awareness, regardless if it's right or wrong. You never want to shut down feedback. And when you tell someone it's wrong, they shut down. They stop giving you feedback, particularly mm -hmm. if they report to you. And then all you did is close off the window to understanding them as much as you did to understanding yourself. If you could just that's that's to me it's a secret weapon you know i had i have one executive extremely successful he's gone all the way to the c-suite you know top you know fortune 100 company that i worked with for 20 years he's a master at this he would get so good at having a poker face when people gave him feedback that was so just outlandish and off the mark and he would rather than judge it as right or wrong his thing was to say tell me more oh, um no. tell me more and why was that he knew what was wrong right from the from the outgo but he wanted to get more insight from them where they were then he could take that information and change it you know and, and then work with it um that's a if people just realize the trick there and said rather than saying i've had to do this in coaching settings a lot i'll say you know one fellow is just like i always wanted to tell folks every time they were wrong i said just stop when you're ready to say you're wrong you have to say tell me more or say more about that at least three times before you can tell somebody if you agree or disagree and by the time they said it three times, they've learned something and they don't have to say agree or disagree because they've moved it to someplace different. It doesn't matter if it's right or wrong. Um, it really doesn't. It's always wrong. Because like I said, it's always biased, always incomplete. What matters is what you can learn about it, what you can learn about yourself and what you can learn about them. You know, I mean, what's a quick, how do you make that one real? Um, just a quick example. A manager gets feedback from his direct report that says you're a micromanager, right? That's the feedback going up to them. You're a micromanager. And he says, guess what? That's I'm a micromanager because you're incompetent. If yeah. you weren't incompetent, I wouldn't be down in your business. You know, and that could be like, no, I'm not. I'm just there because like, but if you flipped the chair and you said, what is that person saying about themselves and giving me the feedback on a micromanager? What they're saying about themselves is I like autonomy, you know, and I'm not getting it in the setting. I really like autonomy. Well, now I could work with that. See, it's not about me so much as about them. They like autonomy. Well, it's a situation I have them in right now. They're not very experienced. I can't give them a lot of autonomy. So maybe I have a conversation with them that says, you know what? I know that I, I'm, we're going to work to a place where you have all the autonomy you want. But initially, we're going to be touching base pretty frequently. And we'll we'll spend that out over time. But right now, I know you want autonomy. So here's how I'm going to work with you. And then I take that off the map. Or I move them to a space where they can have autonomy. But you can always turn every piece of feedback to be about what they believe, what their values are. Someone says, Glade, you're stubborn. What do they mean? I like to have influence on the people I work with, and I don't have any influence on you. And I go, why don't they have influence on me? Well, you know what? Usually, by the time I engage with them, I've done my analysis, and I've done my decision-making, and I'm not going to move. If they want to have influence on me, I'm going to have to let them into the circle a little earlier because I'm not going to move after I've done my analysis. So again, it's not about me. It's about them. So I say, oh, I'll reach out. I'll engage them earlier. 
before I make up my mind, I'm going to talk to that person. Because once I've made it up, I know I'm not going to change it. So any piece of feedback you get, you can flip it. And that's a very effective way to avoid the amygdala getting triggered. Because now it's about them rather than you. Another little psychological trick you can use around the feedback. That's a great example. Uh, the couple of examples. And then how do you give feedback to someone who's like really sensitive? Yeah. You, you know, here's here's the thing that I, that's a, we all face that, right? Yeah. Um, and, and I'll say like one of the things that I would always advise an individual who has to give feedback to someone or needs to give feedback to someone is number one, check your, check your, check your intent first. Um, sometimes when people want to give you feedback, they're actually expressing their frustration to you rather than giving you feedback. They're frustrated with you and they're going to tell you why they're frustrated. That's not really feedback. That's you offloading uh, frustrations there. So check yourself first. And the first thing you want to say is, why am I giving this to them? Oh, I'm going to give it to them because if I'm here for their success, right? I'm going to be here for their success. I'm not here to offload my frustrations. So you get your mindset of I'm here to help them grow and improve rather than I'm here to let them know where they didn't measure up um, and, and not to express my, my frustrations. So if I do that, if I go in with the mindset of I'm here to help you, I'm here to help you grow. Um, I'm not here to push you back or to share my frustrations. That's the first thing. But I always talk with individuals about how do you match your feedback um, to the individual who needs to receive it? Because if you can't you match my feedback to their capacity to receive, then your feedback is going to have a negative impact and a positive one. Almost think like, you know, we've all got a bucket that says I can receive this, or maybe for some people, it's only a thimble um, of how much feedback I can receive. And um, if I give more than what fits in that thimble, if that's that where that person is, it just spills over the floor. And now I've got a safety hazard. Giving them the feedback didn't help because I gave it beyond what they could receive. And so I first want to figure out What's their capacity to receive? And that usually has to do a lot with um, what's their confidence level around the task? Um, what's their, how, how comfortable do they feel? How strong are they right now? Are they, and if they're timid, what kind of feedback do they want to receive if they've only got a thimble? Really, the only kind of feedback they're looking for at that point in time is validation. They're not looking for correction. And when you give correction to them, it almost um, uh, makes them crumble um, rather than helps them. And or most of we're, we're as opposed to someone that's got strong what I call open confidence, which is you know not not overconfidence. I'm open. I I know I'm capable. I know I can achieve, but I know I need feedback, and so I'm open to feedback. They may have a swimming pool, and they're saying, "Give me more." They don't want validation. They're saying, "Yeah, yeah, yeah, yeah I know about that. I need help fixing myself." So you need to figure out where is someone along that continuum, and how can I help move them from that low confidence stage, avoid overconfidence, and get right to open confidence, and Usually that means the type of feedback I give someone who's timid first is uh, what I what I use will taste and I say I need you to right spot with that person rather than wrong spot first. We're designed, our psychology is to wrong spot. We look for what's wrong because that might kill you, that might hurt you. And so then we are doing our best to help someone by wrong spotting. The problem is wrong spotting doesn't feel that way to them when they're confident. It feels like it's coming up. I'm coming up short and I'm gonna fail and then and the amygdala gets triggered and I don't hear it. They, they cry or they or they ignore it or they push back or they fight against it. So first off, I would say, look, if you really need to work someone and this thing's not going to kill you tomorrow, you may not give them feedback until you've done enough right spotting. And I've found that if you do right spotting enough, right, um, long enough, they'll start to ask you to wrong spot. Um, and so that that means like initially when I give someone feedback, I'm going to tell them what they did, not just, oh, you did a good job. 
but I'm going to say, hey, the way you did X, Y, and Z was great. It hit this need, A, B, and C. That's perfect. I love the way you did that. Now, in my head, I've got four other things that they did wrong. Yeah. But if it's not going to kill them today, I'm not going to tell them that today. I'm going to write spot long enough to build that trust to when they start to ask me to um, to wrong spot. And then they're ready to receive it. Um, until I can get them to help, let me know what your aspirations are. Let me know where you want to go. How can I help you? Let me give you some advice. Then I can start to move them forward. Rather than correcting, I'm advising all those little tweaks to keep it grow and improve rather than measure stuff help a lot. But right spot first um, and before your wrong spot. And I wouldn't necessarily... There was this great pattern, the sandwich, right? Which would kind of be like, oh, positive feedback, negative feedback, positive feedback. We call it the feedback sandwich. Yeah. Cross that model out. Get it out of your get it out of your mindset. Because guess what? It doesn't work. Why doesn't it work? Because your brain knows that when someone gives you a piece of positive feedback, like Pavlov's dog, it's the bell ringing. They know the negative one's coming. Ah. So at the very time they're you're giving them positive, their system's already ranking up. I know it's coming. I know it's coming. I know it's coming. And the negative one comes and it wipes out the top. So if you are going to, particularly in those early stages, separate your positive feedback from your negative feedback over time. Give them positive only and don't follow it up with a but. Um, you've got to do no buts for quite a little while. I'm going to give you positive feedback. I'm going to give you positive feedback. And then I can give you the but later on. But don't do it in the same conversation because they're going to get you know, Pavlog's dog, they're going to get conditioned and they'll forget the positive um, when they've, and they'll only focus on the negative and they'll probably have an adverse reaction to it. Well, what do you do in a situation where you really don't have that kind of time? Like yeah. you have to give them feedback that is, could be seen as negative because it's a safety hazard, let's say. Sure. Um, and, and that's where you want to say, I'm going to try and give you again, um, mindset matters, language matters. Okay. Um, so, and that's where I'm going to give you, because it's a new area, it's fundamental. I'm going to give you direction and some instruction rather than feedback. Ah, um, okay. So if I'm giving you feedback, I'm slapping you down, telling you how you're doing wrong. Right. If I'm, they want direction. I don't know how to do this, you know, tell me how to do it. Um, so I'm going to give you instruction and direction, hopefully before. And then if you do stumble and fall, I'm going to come back and say, well, let's go another way at it and give you direction. They'll be open to direction. Um, and as they get a little stronger, they're open to advice. Um, those those framings um, are different than feedback. Feedback triggers a negative response in most people. Um, but if I can say, would you like some advice? You know, let me give you a little bit of advice on what something I learned that might be helpful to you. Um, you can decide what to do with it, you know, but here's some advice mm -hmm. for you that I would say that you might want to consider. Anything I can do that makes it more likely for them to let it get into their head where they can work with it, I'll do. Uh, and people are much more open to advice than they are to criticism. Yeah. Um, and it just puts it in a different spot. Um, you know, I'll even tell people, if you want to get feedback from someone, say, I'm only getting positive feedback from my manager. That's how you're doing a good job. And I really want that, that, that constructive feedback, what do you need to start to ask them to do? If you ask someone for feedback and they don't get anything but positive stuff, it's because they know oh, people tend to not like to receive tough feedback and it makes them uncomfortable when the amygdala is fired on somebody else. So they don't they don't tell you. They don't uh -huh. want them to see you upset. So what do you do? You, you take out that idea and say, rather than asking them to be judge critic, you ask them to be advisor and coach and, and, and ask for advice rather than feedback. Um, as soon as you ask for advice from someone, they will um, go, oh, they're respecting me as someone who has knowledge and they're looking for advice from me. I'm not in the, I'm not in the role of judge critic. 
I'm now there as a as a as a consultant for them, and it's much easier for them to give you um, feedback as it's couched for them as advice. We even did a little research. We do 360 surveys, um, and there's often a question at the end that says, you know, what additional feedback do you have for this person or something like that. And we just did a little test. What if we said what 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 advice do you have for this person versus what feedback do you have for this person? We get three times more content when we ask for advice than we ask for feedback. Wow, really? Um, so if you just Switch that. I'm not getting the feedback I need. Make it easier on the giver by asking them to give you advice. Particularly, also, the other, the other thing is narrow their field of play. I'll say, I'm trying to get better at X. I'm trying to get better at um, X. Can you give me any advice? That helps. Rather than just, what advice do you have for me? That's yeah, not too broad, right? Yeah. And, and well, no one spends that much time thinking about you. I'm, I'm sorry. Yeah. <laughs> they don't. Um, that's not their job. You do, but you, you know, they don't. Right. So, those are some thoughts I think that can be very useful for people um, if they can unlock that capacity to get what they need to grow. Yeah, the, those those are great. And then, so what do you? How do I want to ask this question? What's going on in like organizations where they have those like feedback tools? Um, you know, I feel like they work, they don't work. What What's your assessment of that? Well, I think I'll go back to the earlier comment. I said, unfortunately, most of us are conditioned in the professional setting to see everything in the form of measure and assess. And that's, mm -hmm. you're starting from below the ground if it's coming in measure and assess. Um, and so then feedback feels like it might be something that's weaponized um, against you. Like feedback is used against you. Mm -hmm. It's the reason why you didn't get the you know, promotion. It's the reason why you didn't do something. And so it becomes, you know, weaponized. And that has to do with the broader culture. If the organization is able to embed, this is a place where you can grow and learn. That means by definition, we expect you to make mistakes. We expect you to not hit the target. We expect you to a certain, this, we're going to allow you to learn. You know, that's going to be, if the organization has that mindset, then people are going to be, if the tool, they can use the tool right, but the tool has to live in a context where feedback is seen as an opportunity to grow rather than as a way to limit people's progress. And that's hard because usually feedback, the most memorable time someone used it is my annual performance review and I didn't get my bonus. Right. Um, and that's that's until you can wipe that away and start to say feedback is here for you. And we've it's a space that we've created for you to learn. And guess what? I do too. You know, that's that stuff around vulnerability and and all yeah. that stuff that you show. I've got to give people a chance to learn. Um and you know that's, and you gotta give them a chance to fail. I mean, I just I I just did a coaching assignment with a senior executive, and it's like all positive feedback in his 360 survey, right? And I'm like, oh, this is uh, that's to me that's that's discouraging a little bit. I know that sounds yeah. bad, but, but but why is it discouraging? Because I know the number one skill that I want to give anybody I work with, I want to give them that skill to demonstrate that they can learn and grow, and that means that people see me fail and see me grow. They see me fail, they see me grow. Um, there's a grow and a learn context because if people see that about you, if you're known as someone who can learn and grow, guess what is offered to you? New opportunities, you know? Uh, right. And that can be a promotion, that can be a move, but until people know you can learn and grow, and that's why I'll say you need to act on this feedback, receive it graciously, act on it visibly. That's the number one skill for your success in your career. Learn to do that. And then you're known as someone that can learn and grow and you'll you'll go forward. I mean, it'll it'll play out. So that's where I want to all that positive feedback, man. I couldn't, I didn't have a pattern opportunity to say, well, let's let's get this pattern, this track record yeah. of learn and grow. 
It wasn't there. So what did I say? I said, look, I want to repeat this 360 survey with you in six months, and I want to see bad marks. You know, <laughs> that sounds really crazy. But it, basically, I was telling him, you've got to leave your comfort zone. You're only in your sweet spot right now. If you want to learn and grow, by definition, when you enter into that learning growth, tough feedback is a sign of progress. It's a sign that you've left your comfort zone, you've entered a grow zone, and that's where you want to be as a human being. You'll be happier when you're growing because, you know, why do people leave organizations? One, bad manager. Number two, I didn't have an opportunity to grow. So as you need to get into your comfort zone where you're going to get some bad feedback. So six months, we're going to do it. I want to see the marks go down because you're pushing yourself into different areas. Um, again, looking at feedback in a, in a generative way rather than in a corrective way right. or a disciplinary way. Right. Yeah. Wow. I get it. This is really interesting. I'm so glad that we are having this conversation because, um, it, it's empowering for people. I, I think it's really uh, awesome. And I learned a, a lot. So that's <laughs> another bonus. Uh, of, of having this conversation with you, Glade. Uh, will you tell the listeners how they can find you, please? Oh, sure, absolutely. Um, you can always find me, uh, my, my company, by the way, if you if you want to get some like more little tips um, like this, uh, Learning Bridge is the name of my company at learningbridge.com slash tips. If you type that in, um, you'd get a weekly tip from Glade on something to do with questions we've received over our 20 years of experience around how to receive feedback. Um, so you can always find me on Learning Bridge. You can find me on LinkedIn. One of the benefits of having a name like Glade, um, Glade Holman, there's only one of them, I think, that's out there. Um, and so I'm very easy to find with my name, very easy to find with, um, you know, learningbridge.com. Um, but like I said, learningbridge.com slash tips, and you get a tip tip a week, um, uh, just a video tip a week on how to receive feedback well and turn it to your advantage. That's awesome. Thank you. I appreciate it. And listeners, thank you. You are who we're doing this for. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of Accelerate Your Business Growth, a production of Evergreen Podcasts. Discover more episodes of this podcast and explore others at evergreenpodcast.com. As always, continue to prosper and be curious. And if you're looking to get your sales strategy headed in the right direction, pick up a copy of Succeed Without Selling on Amazon or wherever books are sold. Until we meet again on another episode of Accelerate Your Business Growth, goodbye and good day. The Jim Stroud Podcast explores the discoveries and trends forming the future of our lives. Brain-to-brain communication, robot bosses, microchip implants for workers, and artificial intelligence replacing human workers are all happening now. If you want to know what's happening next, subscribe now to the Jim Stroud Podcast.